Remain standing just a moment. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I want to preach into your ears this morning the thought, Give peace a chance. Bump your neighbor say, You look peaceful. Bump your other neighbor say, You don't. No, don't tell them that. <laughs> you can be seated. God bless you. Give peace a chance. Here we come into the holidays. If we're not in them already, it's coming to uh, 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 lights and, and bless God. If you hadn't been to Santa's Wonderland yet, some of you are going to still have to go wait in line out there for a while. Uh, but so many different things happen in the holidays. And one of the things that, that people lose first in the holidays is their peace. Seems like stress becomes more the norm uh, in the holiday season than it does maybe even the rest of the year. We, we feel stressed out trying to provide uh, for, for uh, people. We feel stressed out trying to, to get the right present and get the right gift. Uh, but, you know, uh, so many times I, I like to think about it like this. If, if you hadn't proved in the last 11 months that you love them, one more present isn't going to do it. So uh, don't go broke trying to, uh, you know, buy somebody's love or affection. If you got to buy it, you know, there's probably somebody better out there for you. Uh, but so many times in life, we, we seem to lose our peace uh, this time of year. But in Jesus' name, that's not going to be us. Everybody say, not me. me. Y'all sound so good. We're going to hold on to our peace. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one. Repentance is the gateway to peace. Now, now I know repentance is a word that's not oftentimes used uh, in church in 2016, but repentance is the number one, it is the first step to having access to peace in your life. If you don't repent, if you don't turn from what you were and turn to who God has called you to be, the chance of you having peace is almost non-existent. John the Baptist, the Bible says, uh, he was Jesus' cousin and he was the voice crying out in the wilderness, uh, preparing, the way, uh, pre- preparing the way of the Lord. The number one thing that he preached was this. He said, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, that means, repent simply means to go a different direction. So if I'm walking across the platform this way and I repent, that means that I turn and I begin to walk this way. Because repentance sometimes gets misinterpreted as just apologize. But here's the thing, if somebody punches you in the nose every time they see you, but they say you're sorry, you still don't want to have anything to do with them. You don't care if they apologize. You want them to change what they are doing because if they'll make a change, now you can see a difference. Repentance is the number one first step when it comes to you being able to walk in peace. The reason we have to repent is because every one of us has done something and we've fallen short of the glory of God and the first step for us to have an access to the king, having access to the kingdom of God is to turn away from that old person, that old man, that old woman and turn to or turn towards what God has called us to be. When you were a kid, did you ever do anything you weren't supposed to do? Uh, let me give you, let me tell you a story. I was, I was about 16 years old and we had a black uh, four-wheel drive Suburban. And it was awesome. 
And my parents, uh, we, we, they, they uh, let me drive that big Suburban around. It was kind of loud. It, had a, uh, it started with a 350, but then we put some kind of stroker-type motor in it, and that was even better. And it was just an awesome Suburban. And one time I was going to a birthday party. And it was going to rain that night, so I was all excited about it because we lived way out in the country, and I could choose how I was going to get where I was going, which means I was going to be driving down dirt roads in a four-wheel drive truck in the mud. It was just going to be heaven on earth to a young man from East Texas. Can I get a witness? It was going to be a great night. And so we go to this birthday party, and the birthday party was total lame sauce, so I decided I was going to go on home. And... I get in the truck, and I'm driving, and there was a road that, that it, it, you just got a picture, like our, like, like our town was, was not, I mean, like, like you could throw a rock across it, okay, so it wasn't big. But there was a road that would get you from the airport to about where our, our little small, in the middle of nowhere road was. But it was really windy and really muddy. In other words, it was the road I was going to drive on that night. So I got in the truck, and I'm driving, and I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bo and Luke Duke, but that's where I got my driving skills from, was watching Dukes of Hazard as a child. So I was picturing Roscoe P. Coltrane chasing me with his hound dog behind me, and I'm turning, and I'm sliding the wheel and everything, and all of a sudden, I slide that wheel, and when I slid, I started sliding sideways, and the truck stopped and started to teeter over, and all of a sudden, it just rocked back to the upright position, and I'm about halfway in the woods and I was like oh my goodness gracious what have I done so I get out of the truck because I put it in reverse it wouldn't back up and this was an older model vehicle so you had to get out for the four-wheel drive and you had to what's called lock in the hubs has anybody ever had to lock in some hubs that usually means either a good time or a really bad time you know what I mean so I get out there and I locked in the hubs and I put it in four-wheel four drive and I backed that big truck up and I drove and I got about two miles from the house and I called uh, a friend of mine. I said, man, uh, you're coming to my house, but I need you to stop at the little white church uh, two miles from my house. And the reason I stopped at the little white church because there was a, a light in the, in the parking lot and I could look at the damage or, or lack thereof on that Suburban. And I, I, I went to get out, and I went to step on the running board, and I almost fell because the running board was just flopping, dangling like that. And then I looked, and the, the whole side of the truck was just all scratched up from where I'd run in the woods. And then we had um, KC lights. Anybody know what KC lights are? Real bright lights on the front, and they were just dangling like this. It was... It was, it, my truck went from this to this. It was, it, was not, it was not pleasant. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So my buddy Kevin gets there, and he's like, man, you're in trouble. I'm like, no, man, we can get out of this. We can figure something out. So on my worst day, I was never good at being dishonest. I'm not saying I was above trying. I'm just saying I was not that good at it. And, and so we go home, or we go there, and I thought, Kevin, now here's number one. You are going to walk in the house with me because there's something about strength in numbers. I don't know. You just feel safer. So I walked in, and I'm like, Dad, whoo, have I got to tell you. We had something, man, Dad, I just I got to tell you something. He's like, okay. I said, come outside with me. We'll go outside. I said, look. I said, you know Clint, right? Clint was our friend, uh, another friend who was not present. And if you are not present, you are fair game to blame. That was real simple. So I said, you know Clint, right? He's like, yeah, Clint, yeah, whatever. I said, man, that son of a gun, he ran over and jumped on the running board of the Suburban and broke it. 
And Dad's looking at these solid steel bolts knowing that Clint's 150-pound frame probably didn't break those bolts. And he goes, oh, okay. And I said, Dad, you know the deer lease out there when we went the other day? I said, yeah. I said, you probably didn't notice that day, but we scratched the whole side of the truck. And he looked at it and he said, yeah, okay. And I said, and Dad, you wouldn't believe it, but you remember those real bright KC lights we had at the front of it? He said, yeah. I said, we went to Burger King to get something to eat before we went to the birthday party, and somebody stole those lights off the front of this truck. And Dad just looked at it, and he goes, okay, well, we'll fix it. And we go back in. And I immediately thought, I have done it. I have made it. I have passed the test. But then all of a sudden, Conviction started to set in. I can't sleep. I can't, I can't really function that well because I was a Christian before I was born. Best of my knowledge, I never didn't know Jesus. I've asked him into my heart several times, but there's never been a time in my life where my parents were not directing us to God. And I go to church the next day, and at our church we had something called a balcony, which if you were like me, and, and this was before smartphones, I would have loved to go gone to church as a teenager with a smartphone. All we had was the bulletin or the gum wrapper to play with. You guys have phones. You can check the, the Facebook and everything else. But I was sitting up in the balcony, and I was sitting there, and I'd got me a piece of big red gum, and I was folding that silver foil gum wrapper into, the, into a, a little airplane, and I was going to try to throw it and see how far I could get it, not to go over the balcony because then I'd be in trouble. But if I could keep it on the balcony, my brother would be impressed. My parents might not see it, and it would just be a good day at church. And I'm sitting there, and I'm folding holding up the, the, don't get any ideas, by the way. I don't want any paper airplanes flying up here. So I'm sitting there folding up my little silver paper airplane. And while I'm folding up my silver paper airplane, uh, the, the pastor, whose name was Dr. Clifford Lee, Dr. Clifford Lee, he, he talked and he had kind of had a, a nasally talk to him, but he was a great man of God, a great singer. He's in heaven now. Great man of God, great singer. And, and he kind of had this nasally talk like this. And all of a sudden I heard him say, Thou shalt not lie. And I was like, what did he say? And then he said, liars will have their place in the lake of fire. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm just up here trying to fold my big red gum paper airplane. And he's sitting there and he goes, and I'm just telling you, the key to life is to recognize what you are, to give it to God and then move forward. But you better know that the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions. When he said it, he meant it. And then he said it again. Thou shalt not lie. And I just melt into the, into the puddle in the top of that balcony. We get home and like what happens most of the time at, at our house, even today, it's one of the thing, one of the traditions that we keep. We were sitting there, we were sitting down for lunch, and my mom had made a bunch of roast and some rice and some peas. Oh, glory to God. And some cream corn and uh, some rolls that were already buttered. And, and we were sitting there, and I got two brothers, so it was three boys and my parents, and we just, we were so ready to eat come Sunday morning or come Sunday lunch. And we sat down to lunch, and I'm sitting there, and all I can do is just move that food around on my plate because I felt so terrible. And I thought, man, this is, this is, this is not what I want. See, when I was sitting there, I wasn't questioning whether or not my parents loved me. But my lack of repentance was building a wedge between me and them. They were not building a wedge. 
it was my lack of repentance. So uh, I said, Dad, I said, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, yeah. I said, let's go outside. And he says to me, he says, he says, well, what's up, son? And I, at, by this point, I'm just a, I'm, a, I'm a wreck. And I said, Dad, I said, I lied to you last night about the truck. He said, oh, really? <laughs> I said, turns out Clint didn't jump on the bumper. The thing wasn't scratched up in the deer lease. And nobody stole the headlights. I was driving way too fast on that road over there. I slid off the road and all this stuff happened. I said, Dad, I'm real sorry. I said, I wish I hadn't lied to you. He said to me, he said, okay, let's go finish lunch. Don't ever do it again, and we'll get everything fixed. And I thought, what? Now, later on in life, I would do things not near that bad, and I would have all kind of penalties. Going through high school, you know, you'd do something, and your parents would, they'd, they'd get you in trouble, and you'd have to do something. And years later, I asked Dad, I said, Dad, I said, I said, I did all those things. I said, I lied to you about that. I said, I lied to you three times. I never even, really more than that, I never went to Burger King. I never, oh, I said, I just lied to you and lied to you and lied to you. I said, and then the next day, I come and I tell you that I lied to you. And I don't get in trouble at all. I said, later on in life, I said, I would do something that I thought was just real small. It wasn't wrecking a $30,000, $40,000 car. It was, it was something real small. And then I would be in trouble. I said, I said, why was I not in trouble for the big thing and I was in trouble when I would do a little thing? He said, because I'm trying to be like the Lord. I said, what do you mean, Dad? He said, well, I want to be like God because anytime He sees true repentance... There is no penalty. But without repentance, he brings conviction to try to stir it along. So for me, it's been the way that Crystal and I raise our children now. Uh, it doesn't really matter to us what they do in the learning process of life. If we see repentance, the penalty is out the window. Now, it takes some significant wisdom because you got to know when they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes or they're not. But at the same time, as a parent, when that repentance shows up, the penalty doesn't exist. It's the same with God times a million. When the Lord sees repentance in your life, all penalties are removed and now you are a candidate for walking in the peace of God. It's different for you and me. It's different for those who have called on the name of the Lord. When you love God, when you live for God, and then you miss it, listen, we're all going to uh, fall occasionally, the Bible says. All I'm saying is, listen, don't make arrangements for it. Don't plan on it. Listen, uh, sometimes we slip and fall. All I'm saying is let's try not to jump. You see what I'm saying? It's one thing when you fall, the Bible says we'll get back up. The righteous may fall seven times, but we get back up. But it is the repentance, it is the turning away from that that positions you to become a candidate for the peace of God in your life. Somebody give God a hand of praise in the house of God. Number two, we have to get real good at casting our cares on Him. We've got to get exceptionally good at casting our cares upon Him. You were never designed to carry all of those burdens. 
You were never designed to carry all of those hardships. You were designed to live in the kingdom of heaven on earth. You were designed to live in a place called the Garden of Eden that has no sickness, that has no disease, that has no issues. But now we live in a situation where sickness may try to come on your body, sickness may try to come against you, but you and me, we are blood-bought, we are born again, we are redeemed, we are above those things and not beneath those things. But it is your opportunity in life to cast all of those cares on Him because He cares for us. Number one, repentance is the gateway to peace. Number two, you have to get very good at casting your cares on Him. Number three, activate peace in your life. Real simple. It's, it's, it's several different things put together. I'm going to say them kind of quickly. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. If you want to have peace activated in your life, You've got to decide before the sun comes up that you're going to rejoice in the Lord. You've got to find something to give God praise about. You've got to find something to magnify God about. All I know is the day I wrecked that Suburban, I was real thankful that it would drive home and I didn't have to call Dad to come get me. I could find something to be thankful about, even that. And if you can't find something to be thankful about in your life, in your current condition, you can always be thankful that you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. You can always be thankful that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Uh, number two, let your moderation be known unto all men. That word uh, more aptly translated is the word gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. If your reputation is somebody that's hard to deal with, bless God, get a new reputation. Well, my grandpa was like that. My dad was like that. You know, my brother's like that. Well, guess what? You get to break it off of your family. You're just going to be gentle. Well, I, I don't want to be weak. Nobody said be weak. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. And meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. If you take a big old Clyde stale horse, one of those ones with those big feet, and he's out in a pasture and you look at him and say, man, that's a strong animal. All it is is eye candy unless you can control that animal enough to get it hooked to a wagon or hooked to a buggy, then you can do something with the strength. You see, meekness is not weakness in our life, but we have to choose to be gentle. We have to choose. Listen, let, let, let me put it in a little differently. If you're not gentle, you're guaranteed to blow something up before it's necessary. You're guaranteed to, to take, if, you, if, you, if, if, if we got a scale of 1 to 10 and 10 is like you're crazy mad and then you always start at like 13 and you just immediately go there, let me tell you something, something in the equation is going to break and when something in the equation breaks, listen to this, there is always collateral damage. If she says, what would you like for dinner? and you've carried all this anxiety, and you've carried all this frustration, and you're so mad at the world, and you respond with, why do you keep asking me that? I just wanted to know what you wanted for dinner. Well, Buford, you just have some collateral damage that now you've got to figure out a way to repair it, when in reality, if you had been gentle, you wouldn't have anything to fix. 
you'd just be moving on and moving on. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And let me just say this. Being a man of God is not about being a sissy at all. On the exact contrary. Being a man of God means that you're going to be in control of yourself and not try to control everybody else. Being a man of God means you're going to be disciplined about your life and not try to enforce your discipline on everybody else. You see, being a man of God is not about being uh, super macho in the world's eyes. It's about being a source of strength to those around you. Verse 6, be anxious or careful. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Be anxious for nothing. If you want to activate peace in your life, you've got to learn to be anxious for nothing. Now that doesn't mean that you won't have an opportunity for anxiety. That doesn't mean that you won't have a a potential of anxiety. That doesn't mean you won't have a reason to be nervous and afraid. It just means you refuse to be. It just means you refuse. It means when everybody on the job is worried about what's going to happen with the economy and everything like that, you're remembering, no, my God supplies my needs according to His riches and glory. I'm not going to be anxious for anything. I've never seen uh, His seed beg bread. I've never seen Him forsake His children. He's not going to start with me. And you just refuse to let anxiety have its way in your life. In everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means a petition to God, a request. With thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. In other words, when you ask God something, you bathe the request in thanksgiving. So if your request was a letter, then thanksgiving would be the envelope that it was delivered in. In other words, If I said to you, hey, I've made you a wonderful buttermilk pie and I'm going to bring it to your house. Number one, you would know immediately that it was a lie because if I had a buttermilk pie, I would eat it. (laughs) If I told you that I made you a buttermilk pie and I'm going to bring it to your house at 5 o'clock today, first words out of your mouth would be, thank you for the pie. Now, you don't have the pie. The pie is not at your house. You just believe me that I'm going to deliver at my word. It's the same thing with the Lord. If you trust me enough to thank me for something you haven't seen, how much more sense does it make to thank God for something that's in His Bible that we haven't seen yet? He says that His word will never return void. So when we make our petitions to God, we bathe it in thanksgiving. Here's a couple of examples. Father, I thank you that all of my children will serve you. I thank you in Jesus' name that I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I thank you in Jesus' name that you have never forsaken me. I thank you in Jesus' name that my future is going to be better than my past. I thank you in Jesus' name that your plans for me are for good and not evil, and they will come to pass. I thank you in the name. Now you're, deli- you're making your request. Your petitions are being made, but you're doing it scripturally, which is with thanksgiving. Stand to your feet if you would. I'm almost done. You do these things. You rejoice. Find something to be thankful for. Always be gentle. 
Never be anxious. Make your requests known to God. Bathe them in thanksgiving. Then verse 7 says this. And if you've done these things, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word passes is the word uh, authority. It means the peace of God will surpass the authority of your understanding, meaning what you can see, what you can understand, the news you receive at the job site, the doctor's report you receive that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Now the peace of God has more authority in your life than what you can actually see. The peace of God, then the Bible says, will keep your heart and your mind. That word keep is a military word. It literally means to guard in a military sense your heart and your mind. The peace of God goes on patrol when you choose to rejoice all the time, when you choose to be gentle. The peace of God goes on guard and patrol mode, becomes the military police of your life when you choose to never be anxious, when you choose to make your petitions known to God and you bathe them with thanksgiving. The peace of God becomes the caretaker for your heart and your mind. Changes everything. All with a shift. The Bible says, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. When you think, I want you thinking on the peace of God. I heard it said one time, faith starved diminishes. Faith fed flourishes. Anytime that you have those opportunities to doubt anytime it's not making sense in the natural. This is the proving ground for our faith. This is when we go from where we were to where God's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Give God a big hand of praise.